This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Our scripture reading this morning can be found in the book of John, chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put out your hand, and place it into my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Good morning, First Prize. He is risen. If you have no idea why we do that, that's the old ancient way in which Christians would respond to each other. Literally, just walking down the street, they'd pass another Christian, they'd say, He is risen. To which they would respond, He is risen indeed. And that was just their greeting because of the excitement of the resurrection. Um, just as we prepare, if you have your Bibles, please turn them to. Uh, John chapter 20, which was just read, that's our text this morning, but before we dive in, let's take a moment and pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we do come before you, and Lord, we are thankful for this day, this reminder of the resurrection. Lord, the truth is that we get so busy and we get so caught up with life that to be uh, put on pause for a minute is a good thing. We need to be reminded because we can blink and this day would be gone and we wouldn't take the time we need to really find the satisfaction in Christ that we should. Lord, as we've already confessed our sin, we acknowledge we're sinners. We acknowledge we're in need of a Savior. We're in need of hope. And, Lord, we know that that hope is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ, that God himself took on human flesh. He, he dwelt amongst us. He lived a sinless life. And for what purpose but to go to a cross, which we deserve, to carry our sin, to die for sinners. Lord, it's amazing to contemplate the reality that he who did no sin came and took our sin and nailed it to the tree. And the empty tomb is the proof of the victory. And so, Lord, this day we celebrate the proof. The victory has been won. We have been freed. And we have cause for celebration. So, Lord, as we gather here, may you hear our voices. May you know our hearts and the joy that the salvation and the finished work of Jesus provides. God, we are not so foolish to think that there are not many who've come with heavy hearts whether because of physical ailments, emotional concerns, or even spiritual bondage. Lord, I pray that you would minister to every need. Lord, I think of our own family here at First Pres, and I think, Lord, of, of, the, of the family for Betty White. 
Lord, she loved you, and Lord, you took her home to be with you, and now I know she sees you in, her spl- in the splendor of, of your glory. But God, I pray for Walt and for Lori, I pray for the family, that you would comfort them and strengthen them even this very hour. Lord, I pray for Ed Thomas, and just as he's in the hospital, I pray for healing over his body. God, I pray that you would use the doctors and the nurses and the medicine, and Lord, ultimately, that you would bring healing. I pray for Blanche, and I pray for Missy, Lord, as I know they're deeply concerned for Ed. I pray that you'd minister to them. I pray also, Lord, for Dave Wilkins, and I pray, God, that you continue to heal him, give the doctors their wisdom, and God, just minister to his body. God, these saints are not alone. There are many who are struggling. Lord, I pray that this day can be a day of reminder as it points us forward to looking to the hope that's found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning. I pray, Lord, that you give us ears to hear, hearts to receive. I pray that you protect my mouth, that I wouldn't say anything more nor less than you've given me to say. But God, that we would be filled up this morning, that we would be encouraged in our walk, And that, God, we would leave here changed and transformed, made more and more in the image of Christ. That's what we pray. Pray believing you will do even better than we know how to pray or even ask. So we look forward to your delivering us today. We pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. There's a popular TV show called This Is Us. It's a popular TV show that really shows the story of a family going through the good the bad, and the ugly. The the TV show actually intertwines the past and the present. Many people are connected with that show in a unique way. Its watchers seem to be attached to it because as they watch it, they think, that's us too. You know, that's exactly what takes place in our text this morning. As you look at John chapter 20 and as you wrestle with this text, what I want you to notice is that Thomas isn't unique. The reality is that there's this disciple who's been following Jesus for three and a half years. And in that time frame, he, he's seen Jesus do some pretty amazing things. But he's also known as Doubting Thomas. And, and in Doubting Thomas, we, we know he experienced fear and shame and, yes, doubt. And so do we. In the life of Doubting Thomas, we see ourselves our own doubts, our own fears, our own shame. And yet also in this text, we see the grace of God. The grace of God that pursues us right where we're at as the grace of God pursued Thomas, causing us to celebrate the faith of Thomas and causing us to celebrate the faith that God has given us. Let's look at the text. As you look at the text, you come to verse 24 and you read these words. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. One of the things you need to know about this text is all of chapter 20 is about the resurrection. And if you're here today and you don't know anything about the resurrection, let me fill you in on some really good news. Jesus is alive. That's really good news. And here's the point. Jesus came to this earth. We celebrate Christmas and we celebrate it for the purpose of his incarnation that Jesus was born. He was born of a virgin. Jesus came in a special way and he was raised and he lived a sinless life. And I know for us that's hard to understand because we're surrounded by sin. Amen. Everywhere we go we experience sin. Being sinned against as well as sinning against others. That's our life. That's our experience. 
But Jesus was different. See, Jesus was perfectly God and perfectly man. He took on human flesh and he never sinned. And for some 30 years as he lived on the face of the earth, he lived a sinless life. At the age of 30, he, he began a ministry. And in that ministry, he, he began to publicly proclaim the reason he came, which was to die. That's why Christians wear a cross. The idea that Jesus came to die. And what was the purpose of coming to die? But to die for the sins of those who hate him. Isn't that incredible? That Jesus would come to die for sinners, those who spit in his face, those who reject him, those, those who in many ways seek to do him harm. In fact, the, the very day that Good Friday is what we call it, Jesus was on the cross. He actually said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What's amazing is that as Jesus was there on that cross, his love for the people was immense. That's why he came, to die. And he did die. And he was put in a tomb. And that tomb was sealed and it was guarded because there was fear that somebody would come and steal his body and proclaim that he resurrected because Jesus kept talking about there would be a day of his resurrection. As Jonah was in the belly of a whale for three days, Jesus would be in the tomb for three days. But then chapter 20 of John declares, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, and she saw that the stone had been taken away. Stone that they had placed to guard the body of Jesus had been moved. And guess what? The tomb was empty. There's accounts all through chapter 20 of people seeing the risen Christ. But one of the people who didn't get to experience that was a man by the name of Thomas. One who was very close with Jesus. One who gave his life to follow Jesus. Could you imagine the disappointment for Thomas when he gets word that Jesus appeared and he didn't see him? I mean, if we miss a main event, we get upset. If I miss a TV show, I get upset. But if you miss the main thing, could you imagine all the world happening and you not knowing 9-11 ever happened? Could you imagine not knowing that JFK was shot and assassinated? These major events in human history never happened. Because you weren't there. You didn't see it. You didn't know about it. But Thomas was told. But Thomas, he was a unique individual. See, Thomas is described as a loyal disciple. In John's own gospel, the book of John, he writes in chapter 11, verse 16, that Jesus declared to his disciples he was going to go to Jerusalem. And there was fear amongst the, the disciples that if Jesus went to Jerusalem, he would die. Listen to what Thomas says. Thomas said, then let us go with him, that we may die with him. That's loyalty, amen? We want that kind of friendship. We want those kind of people in our lives that are willing to die for us. That's exactly what Thomas was willing to do. But Thomas wasn't just loyal. At times, Thomas was unsure. See, one of the things Jesus kept bringing up during his ministry was he kept talking about his departure, his leaving the disciples, and in John chapter 14, John captures some of Thomas's words where Thomas looks at Jesus when Jesus is talking about his leaving. And Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? To which Jesus responds, I am the way. 
I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus assuring Thomas, you know this. You got this. There's no reason to be uncertain. But see, as we look at Thomas, we realize he's a pretty complex being, isn't he? Thomas is just like us. There's times he bodes confidence and loyalty. There's also times he shows uncertainty and doubt. But can you imagine for Thomas the missing of the resurrection, the visiting of the risen Christ? All the other disciples experienced it. Can you imagine how this played upon Thomas in his uncertainty? How it affected him? Look what he says in verse 25. He says, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. He's angry. He's frustrated. He's discouraged. He's saying, I just can't believe what your guy's saying. Unless I actually can see and feel and touch him myself, I won't believe. The truth is, we can be just like Thomas at times, can't we? We can. We can become uncertain in life when life gets hard. We know it. Doubt creeps in. And we begin to lack faith when things don't go as we planned or we expected. Let's be honest. 2020 was not what we expected, amen? It wasn't. And there were times during it we were getting frustrated and angry. And if we're honest, we're frustrated and angry even now. When will it end? And doubt and fear seem to capture us. But you know what? We also can misplace our faith not only when things are going bad, but when things are going well. We forget to give thanks. And we forget where the good things in life truly come from. And we misplace our attention. So see, it's not just when things are bad that we doubt or that we're uncertain. It's even when things are going well that we're uncertain and we doubt. See, really, the story of Thomas is the story of us. This is us. The question is, how often do we who profess Christ display uncertainty? Think about that for a minute. Those of us in this room who, who've been walking with Jesus for some time, we, we attend church, we read our Bible, maybe we're part of a Bible study, maybe we witness to other people at work. We profess Christ. But how often do we display our uncertainty, our doubt, our fear? How often are we just like Thomas? See, here's the point. Are we trusting God even when we're not seeing the results of the promises he made? Are we trusting him even when it doesn't seem to make sense? Are we trusting him when our families are falling apart, when loved ones are sick? Are we trusting him when our job is kind of on the, on the verge of collapse? Are we trusting him? Because see, after all, the life of a disciple is one who trusts, one who follows, one who commits. That's what Thomas signed up for. But here, he was living a life of uncertainty fear, just like us. 
Well, if the story ended there, we'd be kind of discouraged. We'd say, yeah, we're just like Thomas. That stinks. <laughs> Thanks for really deflating my Easter. But you know what? The story doesn't end there. There's this gracious call. Look at verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came, and he stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. Friends, don't miss that. Jesus meets Thomas right where Thomas is at. That's grace. That he's willing to meet Thomas right where he's at. He doesn't first say, Thomas, get your life together, then come to me. Pull it together, Thomas. Believe in me, then I'll show myself. No, Jesus meets Thomas right where Thomas is at. One of the first things I want to show you is this importance of the eighth days later. The eight days later, actually, I, re I reported to you that in John in chapter 20, and everything happened on the first day of the week. We understand the first day of the week to be Sunday. Eight days later from that would be another Sunday. One of the most amazing things about Jesus is he likes to do things in order. He likes to keep things categorized. You can study the life of Christ, and you see the patterns of his life. Whenever he entered a town, he'd always go to the synagogue. He'd always go and teach. He always had a tendency to, to go hang out with sinners. There's just something about Jesus, about the rhythms he kept. And one of the rhythms I want you to see is that Jesus thought a lot about the first day of the week. In fact, later on, John, in the book of Revelation, calls the first day of the week the Lord's Day. And here's why. On the first day of the week, the day of the resurrection, the actual resurrection, we're told that Jesus revealed himself to the disciples, although Thomas wasn't there. Jesus revealed himself to Mary Magdalene at the tomb. Jesus revealed himself to the women as they walked home. Jesus revealed himself to the two men on the road of Emmaus. Jesus revealed himself to Peter at the tomb, all on Resurrection Sunday. And if that weren't enough, Jesus waits a whole week and reveals himself on another Sunday. Friends, that's good news because we're gathered here on a Sunday and Jesus' habit is to reveal himself to his people when on Sunday, on the Lord's Day. He does that through his word. He does that as he, his name is proclaimed. He begins to reveal himself, but he does that out of grace. Grace for us, just like grace for Thomas. You know, Jesus could have said, look at the list of people I already showed myself to the first Sunday. But out of grace, he showed up again. Because Thomas wasn't with him. One of the things I want you to notice is the setting that Jesus shows up in. Locked doors. The doors weren't just shut. They're locked. That's important because we need to understand that the disciples were fearful. Look at verse 19 of chapter 20. It tells us why they're fearful. They're fearful of the Jews. They're fearful of the Jews. They're fearful that they're going to be persecuted, that ultimately hate people, or people that hate them are going to come out and, and kill them and throw them in jail. So the disciples, even though they've seen the resurrected Christ, are still locked in rooms. Jesus doesn't come and try to handle and say, oh, you guys locked me out, see you later. That's not the way Jesus deals with things. No, Jesus is full of grace and mercy and love. Even though there were locked doors, Jesus still showed up. 
Because understand this, church, neither locked doors nor hard hearts can keep Jesus out. Amen? Neither locked doors nor hard hearts can keep Jesus out. In the world of theology, the world of pastoring and, and studying all this stuff, we call that irresistible grace. Who doesn't want to be loved like that with irresistible love? Irresistible grace. That even though Thomas is locked behind a door, Jesus comes to him, pursues him. That's love. And Jesus does this by walking through the door. See, by doing that, Jesus demonstrates his glorious power. Make no mistake, Jesus is making himself known, and he's making his power known. And then when he arrives, he doesn't lambaste them with, why'd you guys lock the door? Why are you guys so afraid? No, listen to what he does, says. As soon as he enters, he makes a declaration, and his declaration is this, peace be with you. Isn't that amazing? The love of Jesus Peace be with you. Jesus comes to his own people to bring peace. And let's be honest, it's a peace that we desperately need, amen? We live in a fallen world. We live in a world of fear. And the truth of the matter is, we all are busy locking ourselves in. Maybe not physically, but emotionally. And some of us, spiritually. And guess what? Jesus is breaking in. And why is he doing it? To bring peace. The great shalom, as it's called. Real peace. Inner peace. Inner peace for those who are in fellowship with him through faith. A peace that surpasses all understanding. That's what Jesus comes to provide. And if that weren't enough, if I didn't just display enough to you of God's grace through Jesus Christ, that he comes again a week later, that he goes through a locked door, that he pronounces peace, listen to what he does in verse 27. He looks right at Thomas and he says, put your finger here. See my hands? Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve. Believe. That's amazing. It's absolutely amazing, the grace of God. He meets us right where we're at. He pursues us to right the depths of our own sin, our own shame, our own fear. He's not scared away by who we are. He pursues us out of great love because of who he is. See, Jesus meets Thomas right where he is, locked down. Jesus shows him irresistible grace, calling him, touch me, feel that I'm real. What's ironic is the answers Jesus gives there are the very things Thomas said he needed. Thomas demands, unless I see, look what Jesus said, look at my hands. Thomas said, unless I put my finger in. Notice what Jesus says, reach out your finger, here. Thomas says, unless I put my hand in. He says, here's my side, put it in. Thomas says, unless these things happen, I'll never believe. And what does Jesus say? Don't be unbelieving. Be believing. Be trusting. Have faith. 
Church, understand this. Jesus meets Thomas, and he meets us right where we're at. Wherever you're at today, Jesus is meeting you. Here, on this Sunday, he's declaring himself to you. And he's saying, believe, trust, have faith. Faith is what matters. Faith is what saves. It is the key that unlocks. But understand this, church. It's not blind faith. It's not just faith in a God. It's not just faith in something. It's the object of our faith that saves. And that object is Jesus Christ. Who he is and what he's come to do. And church, this is our story. This is where our faith needs to be applied. This is us. No matter how many doors we've locked, no how much fear we have or uncertainty we're experiencing, Jesus says, look to me. Trust me. So church, I ask you, do you see personally how Christ has met you where you're at? Do you see it? The very fact you're here, do you see, even if you were dragged here, do you see that he has met you right where you're at? He's pursuing you with an irresistible pursuit of love and grace. No matter how many times you lock the door, he will come through. The question is, how will you respond? See, it's all about trusting, isn't it? It's all about trusting in Jesus and his victorious work, his finished work. The empty tomb is the declaration that you're free. Salvation is yours. Trust me, he says. Don't look to the world. Look to me. Well, how do you respond? And look how exactly at how Thomas responds. In verse 28, it says, Thomas answered him. He said, my Lord and my God. And notice that phrase, my Lord, my God. These words show Thomas's deep shame. He's admitting his fault, his uncertainty, his, his doubt. My Lord, my God. But they also reveal his absolute reverence for Christ. While he acknowledges himself to be a sinner in need of a Savior, he lifts Christ up to be that Savior. One of the ways I believe this is revealed is that he's actually quoting a line from David in one of the songs that David used to sing, Psalm 35, verse 24. If you didn't know that, the Psalms are, are a hymn book. What's beautiful there is David says this in a song. He says, vindicate me, O Lord. My God, according to your righteousness. Catch that? Vindicate me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. And what's interesting about that is right there, Thomas applying those words is actually probably saying, redeem me, O Lord, by your righteousness, not my own. And let not my enemies of doubt rejoice over me. 
See, I believe right there, Thomas is coming to terms with his own need for Jesus' righteousness. That's essential that we recognize we need Jesus. That's why Jesus went to the cross. It's not about coming to church. It's not about reading your Bibles. It's not about doing things. It's about looking to one who's done everything for you. And I believe Thomas was having that aha moment. And as he quotes this psalm, Psalm 35, 24, I think that's what he's doing. He's admitting his need for Jesus' righteousness. And that he would therefore ultimately see his enemy doubt destroyed. See, uh, it's true that doubt is an enemy. It's a tool of the enemy. It's one that's used on each of us. It's been used on us all year long. Where is God? Why is he not fixing this? See, the question is for each of us, do we see our need for Jesus? Do we see doubt as an enemy? Are we trusting in him? See, I believe in that moment, absolutely for sure, Thomas is acknowledging Jesus in the highest regard. He's calling him his Lord and his God. He's acknowledging ultimately that, that he wants to bear witness that, that ultimately God in Jesus Christ is everything. He's giving testimony, guys. He's witnessing. He's declaring. He's confessing. Any of those words you want to use. He's making sure the world knows it. The truth is, giving witness is the highest honor we can give something. If you come to me and say, Aaron, I'm downriver for the first time. Where should I go eat? I'll give witness. You need to go to Big Bear Lodge. Amen? I just gave witness, <laughs> right? How much more important is that I give witness for my redemption, for my salvation? But Jesus says something here. I believe at this point he makes eye contact with Thomas. And he says, have you believed because you've seen me? He's basically saying, is the only reason you believe is because you see me? Notice he doesn't bash him for it. He just makes another statement. He says, blessed are those who don't see but believe. And that's important. He celebrates the faith of doubting Thomas. See, church, we need to understand something. Faith does not need sight. Listen to that. Faith does not need sight. In fact, it shouldn't be based upon sight. Many of us say we're not going to believe something unless we can feel it and touch it. We're just like Thomas. But the reality is true faith does not need sight, nor should it be based on, on sight. In fact, I get that from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Not seen. I'm trusting. I'm believing. I'm walking in faith even though I do not see. And what does Jesus say? Blessed are those who believe without seeing. Happy are those who believe without seeing. You want to be happy? Believe. You want joy back in your life? Believe. Trust. 
Jesus, his person and his work, as declared in the word of God, are the key to your happiness. Look what John said in John 20, verse 31. He says, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The whole reason John wrote this whole book is so you'd believe. So that you'd have joy. That you'd be blessed. That you'd be encouraged and strengthened. That you wouldn't doubt. And the bottom line is those who've been blessed, those who've been blessed have a responsibility to testify. See, church, don't miss this. The best way to celebrate the gift of faith and Christ's pursuit of irresistible grace in our life is to share the good news with others. With the blessing comes a responsibility. And just recently, I took an airplane ride, right? I got in an airplane, you know, okay, get in line, wait, get there. You're wondering what seat you got. What's really important to me is I get an end seat on the aisle. I want to be able to stand up, walk around. I need to be able to go to the bathroom when I need to, right? Amen? Some people in the room can agree with me. But let's be honest. Sometimes the best seats are the emergency row seats. Those are the real blessed people. And when you look at those people, you go, wow, look at all the leg room they got. But don't think they're blessed too much because with that blessing comes a responsibility. The airline steward comes over to you and hands you a pamphlet and says, do you understand the responsibility to sit in this, in this emergency row seat? And in case of emergency, you have the responsibility to help the door to be open and make sure their aisleway is clear and that everybody can get through and get out in case of emergency. Are you willing to do that? They ask that very important question. Are you willing to do that? To which you say, oh, yeah, I want my leg room. And see, the truth of the matter is, that's the way it is for Christians, isn't it? We want our blessing. We want all the blessings of the gospel. We want to know that ultimately we are freed from sin. We want to know that we can stand before the Father and not have any fear on Judgment Day. We want to know that when we pray, we're heard. We want to know that Jesus is preparing a place for us. All the blessings of being a child of God, we want. But do we want the responsibility as well, the responsibility of bearing witness, giving testimony, and making confession one to another of the glories of Jesus Christ, who he is, and what he's come to do. See, that, that was naturally flowing from doubting Thomas. The man who said, I won't believe unless I can see and feel. I won't believe. And Jesus, with irresistible grace, pursues him through a locked door. Tells him, touch me, feel me. Pronounces blessing. And what is the reaction? But a confession, a testimony, a sharing, a witnessing. My God, my Lord. What about you? Church, understand the greatest celebration of faith is found in confessing Christ to others, sharing the good news of Jesus with other people. The bottom line is this. Today we are called to believe in many things. 
you go to any Christian or any bookstore at all, you're going to be told to believe in yourselves. Constantly, the media is telling us to believe in the government. And right now, there's a campaign to teach us to believe in science. But hear me clearly on this. None of those things can save eternally. Only Jesus Christ can do that. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's what makes the good news of the resurrection so good. That's what makes the empty tomb so wonderful. The lasting joy it provides. The victory, the deliverance, the hope. And we see a life transformed in Thomas. And we ask, is this us? Is this us? Am I surrendering all my doubts and all my fears to the risen Lord? Am I trusting in who he is and why he's come? Church, understand, the story of us is this. We all lack faith. We're all guilty. Every one of us in this room is guilty. But by God's grace, which is irresistible, he pursues and he grants faith, and that faith is to be celebrated. And the greatest way we can celebrate that faith is in the gratitude of the one who gave it by declaring, my God, my Lord, to others. See, church, the question before you right now is this. Who will you share the good news with today? Not tomorrow. Not next week, but today. Who will you point Jesus to? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we close our Bibles, as we prepare to walk away from this encouragement that you pursued doubting Thomas, we know that you are pursuing us as well. God, I pray that our eyes are fixed upon the grace that was administered. That no matter how many locked doors we have in our lives, emotionally locked doors, physically locked doors, spiritually locked doors, you bust through all of them because you are all-powerful. You know our thoughts, you know our desires, you know our fears, you know our concerns. And you extend yourself out and you pronounce peace. And God, may we hear that peace. May we receive that peace. May we have the faith to receive all that you have for us, God. That our lives would be transformed. That our eyes would be fixed on your kingdom. And that we would be your witnesses. Out of hearts of deep gratitude for all you've done, may we sing your praises to a world that desperately needs the joy of the resurrection pray these things now in Jesus' name. And God's people said. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.